All right, we are live and in a living color. It's Elite Heat, the only show you need on Mondays. What is this, episode 29, 30, 31? No, it's 29. And we're going to do a little bit of a, a state of a wrestling address up top. I got Jimmy here, the elitist. How you doing, Jimmy? Uh, I'm doing great, Kevin, as you call yourself. Um, yeah, it should, be, it should be an interesting show. Um, there's a certain topic that I want to talk about that genuinely bothers me. So that's going to be off the top. And then we'll have a few other topical wrestling matters in here because you guys love your uh, topical wrestling content. And then we're going to do a bit of a, a retro uh, Money in the Bank uh, pay-per-view discussion there, John. Yes, uh, we both watched Money in the Bank, the full show, and we both took detailed notes. And we're going to give you about an hour and a half rundown of every single thing that went down from top to bottom of Money in the Bank 2011. Your favorite yeah, pay-per-view of all time. And one of my favorite Yeah, we're going to let you guys know exactly what happened at 8 minutes and 22 seconds into the SmackDown Money in the Bank ladder match. We're going to let you know all the juicy details, all the goss, all the moves. We got you covered at a late heat there, John. Oh, yeah. All right, well, let's just get to it. All right, let's talk about the wrestling news. There's been a quite, it's been quite a topical news week, I would say, in the wrestling world. Wrestling was in the mainstream, maybe for not the right reasons, again this week. And uh, none other than Jimmy Uso found himself in a little bit of trouble with the law. He ended up getting a DUI. And, uh, you know, DUI, they happen. People make mistakes. This is, what, his fourth one in, like, in a decade? Four. His four. Yeah, go on. Yes, his fourth in a decade, second in two or three years. Uh, Everyone remembers the one where he and Naomi both got arrested in Detroit. Either way, long story short, this happened in Pensacola, Florida. He was arrested and he posted bond and then he was gone the next morning, released free. And yeah, so what's notable about this, though, is that his breathalyzer test was more than double the legal limit. That's just crazy. But yeah, I'll give you the floor as uh, one Jimmy speaking about another Jimmy. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah. So when it comes to Jimmy Uso, you've got a guy who has had three DUIs, which that's three more than you should have to begin with, okay? Maybe when you're, like, 19 or whenever, like, when you're, like, young, you'll get one because you're an idiot. Okay, stuff happens, whatever. Jonathan Fartu has had three, okay? And the thing is about this one, okay, he picks up his fourth, Radio. Um, you mentioned there. Okay, his blood alcohol was point two oh five. I mean, you mentioned it there. Double, more than double the legal limit, point two oh five. And Jonathan Fartu goes, "Hey, I'll, I'll jump in. I'll jump behind the wheel. I'll, I'll, I'll drive." Brilliant, brilliant. And he picks up his fourth DUI as he should have, considering the situation. Getting behind the wheel with that blood alcohol. I mean. When you've got that blood alcohol, you can barely see straight. Like, literally, like the likelihood of killing someone in that car, like either in the car or, you know, with the car, is insane. So Jonathan Fartu decides, that's a good idea, I'm going to do that. And he gets a DUI, as he should. And then, Kevin, I go on Twitter in the, the day after it, and people are defending him, being like, oh, well, don't you, don't, you should never joke about... Jimmy Uso getting a fourth DUI. Jimmy Uso is like he didn't kill someone in the car, but at the same, oh no, we 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 shouldn't we shouldn't make any jokes or comments about it. Jimmy should just make sure he gets gets some help. 
It'll be all good. He's had four of them, Kevin. Four. It's not like it's his first one. He said this is his fourth. What makes sense? I can get a fifth one. Okay? And this is all during the time, Kevin. This is all during the time when he's in the main storyline in wrestling. Okay? For all these years, he was just a tag team guy having good matches against the New Day on the undercard of SmackDown or good matches on pay-per-view kickoffs. Now he's in the main storyline. SmackDown revolves around our tribal god talking to this guy, Jonathan Fartu, backstage. And now he goes and does this. A fourth DUI. Fourth. Not his first, his fourth. Like, just, this dude won't learn, Kevin. It's so frustrating. And people on Twitter being like, hey, don't, don't joke about it. Don't say anything mean. It, J- Jimmy Uso is innocent. Oh, he's really innocent. What, what if he killed five people when he was driving this car at a .205 black hole, Kevin? I mean, seriously. Like, I'll throw, throw this back to you. I've had a little rant. Like, what are your thoughts? I mean, it's just, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty simple. You, you could take an Uber to and from the bar. You're Jimmy Uso. You're not like some random guy that can't afford to take an Uber every weekend. You could afford like ten, twelve dollars to take an Uber down to the local bar. You know, like how much money would that cost you? You're already spending probably hundreds of dollars at the bar to get that drunk. So you could easily shell out a couple bucks for an Uber. And and I get I get people saying, oh, you know, he has an addiction problem. Yes, that that's a problem, but that doesn't mean that he is an innocent person here. It just it's it doesn't make it right. He should have gotten help maybe after the first DUI, maybe the second, maybe the third. Hopefully he gets help after the fourth. All likelihood he's going to be on SmackDown tonight, or maybe they'll give maybe they'll give him a week off. We won't see him. We'll, we'll just see Roman and Jey Uso. We won't see Jimmy this week, and then it's going to be like nothing happened. Kind of like with Jeff Hardy. Jeff Hardy gets a DUI, and you know he's back on TV in a couple weeks, and all is good. I mean now he's losing main event to like to jobbers and stuff, but that's either here nor there with Jeff Hardy, but. I just, I saw this and I was like, wow, WWE, this is the only way WWE makes headlines. Like, WWE will not make headlines for anything anymore. Roman Reigns could be, like, the best person in the world. He could, like, could save a baby falling from, like, a a burning building. And nobody would talk about it. But if a wrestler does something bad, it's immediately in the mainstream. People are trash-talking wrestlers. They're like, oh, look at these wrestlers. They're idiots. They're meatheads. All this stuff. And... It sucks that that's the only way that wrestling can make mainstream news and headlines. But, I mean, I don't know. Like, what, what's what's next for Jimmy Uso? You know, he's... It's DUI at this rate. I mean, let's, let's be honest. Because, I mean, this is number four. You know, and this is the thing. I mean, you mentioned, like, personally, I don't... Because I saw people um, saying, oh, Jimmy Uso is, like, an alcoholic. And, like... I don't think that's fair to say. I'd say the correct terms, he's an imbecile. He's an idiot. Like, I, I don't think it's an alcohol problem. I really don't. Because, like, if it is... I highly doubt Jonathan Fart, who's just every night just addicted to alcohol. That's, no. But, like, there's an issue when it comes to stuff like this. Like, you know, being an idiot in cases like this. Like, you mentioned it there. Just get an Uber. You're Jimmy Uso. He'd be making handsome six figures. He's part of the Anoa'i family, and he's in WWE. He'd be making... A high six figures. But no, don't get an Uber. Drive at a point two oh five blood alcohol. Risk killing yourself and others. Like Yeah. 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 Yeah, we've seen you know, we've seen things like this before. You've seen like like some tragic passings that, that have come from like from alcohol or drug related, you know, you've seen like Mr. Perfect, Junkyard Dog, people like that. And it just you know, it, it would it, like, if something happened and Jimmy Uso died, God forbid, from drunk driving. The, the the headlines and the media they would say oh it's just another wrestling tragedy, and that that's the reality of the situation. 
Yeah, pretty much. It would just be just another one. But instead, yeah, he, he, he you know, thank God, yeah, he lives to see another day despite everything, you know, that everything could have happened. He's he's still around. That's like the main thing. But just action needs to be taken. He needs to help himself. Like he he can get help, but he needs to help himself and invest in that. So. Yeah, that's the, the whole Jimmy Uso situation. I just found it ridiculous. The people, you, you can't say anything bad about Jimmy Uso as these are the same people who are trying to cancel Nikki Bella for comments from eight years ago. Like, it, I don't know. But yeah, anyway, anyway, that's um, that's that's the Jimmy Jimmy Uso situation, there, John. Yeah, it's uh, it's quite the interesting one. But let, let's move on to some more positive news. So I was reading a Cultaholic earlier, and a bunch of other news sites are are reporting this. John Cena vs. Roman Reigns is apparently locked in. It's good to go. It's going to happen at SummerSlam. How excited are you? Tribal Chief Roman Reigns versus Hustle Loyalty Respects the Nation. Main event. I, I can't wait, bro. If it is true. like I have a feeling that we're going to see John Cena next week on SmackDown. And it's going to be crazy. WWE's first live show in front of fans. So you know they got something up their sleeves. John Cena would be the biggest ace in the hole if they get him. Just imagine that. You got like, I don't know, 15,000 people, 12,000 people, however many people it is, a full arena, and you got the first, like, show back. You have Cena and Reigns having a confrontation. You just, you can't write a better return to full crowds than that, right? That's, yeah. The, the, the money. Kevin, money. And, like, that's the thing, because with Reigns, all of the people who've been saying, oh, he's getting stale, he's stale, I, I really do feel like a lot of that is the opponent's. And with that being said, like WWE, they've done what they had to do to get through the Thunderdome era with Reigns as opponents, and but they haven't really given that much away. You know, Kevin, like look who look who Reigns has had matches and feuds with: Jay Uso, Kevin Owens, Daniel Bryan. They did Edge a bit, and then they did Cesaro. You know, like, no one there, like, granted, Edge, but it was, like, a triple threat, so it wasn't really a one-on-one. No one there is really, like, a, oh, my God, that's, like, a WrestleMania main event type feud they've given away. So, in that sense, it's awesome, because you mentioned that there. Reigns, Cena, SummerSlam, fans are back. Now we can have Reigns facing, like, like legit opponents, aka part-timers and big names. And it's just, it's going to be awesome. Like, the, the promos, Kevin, the, the drama, the video packages, God, it's going to be sick. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see how Roman Reigns will fare this time around in a promo battle with John Cena. I, I'm hoping that like Roman is not a product of just the Thunderdome era, and I, I hope that he doesn't get nervous again in front of fans. I I would like to think that he's grown and he's better in that aspect. I can't wait to see what he and Cena do, and then the roles are going to be a little bit different this time. Cena was kind of the tweener in their first feud. This time around, Cena will be the clear babyface, and Roman Reigns will be the heel, so... I'm really anticipating it. I don't know about you, but man, I mean, there's no bigger main event for SummerSlam, and I, I would I would go on a record saying this: if, if SummerSlam is headlined by John Cena and Roman Reigns, SummerSlam just by that notion will be the bigger show this year than WrestleMania 37 was. It wouldn't you agree? Oh hell yeah! I mean, look look at look at the main event. So let, let, let's compare it. So you have one show, hypothetically Reigns versus Cena, and if rumors are correct. I, I, are you seeing the one the rumors for Lashley and Goldberg? Is, or is that just me? Like I've seen that mentioned because Lashley and Lesnar, I've never Brock's availability, but Lashley and Goldberg is what I'm hearing. So you have like those main events, and compare that to Bianca Belair versus Sasha Banks, <laughs> and it's like oh, 
you know, Reigns and Cena, like literally near enough, everyone knows them, especially Cena, but Reigns is getting there. Or it's it's Bianca Belair and Sasha Banks. Like, you see what I mean? Like, it's just... I, I get yeah, it's not, yeah, it's just Reigns... And also, yeah, like Reigns, Brian, and Edge. Like, really good match. Like, it's my match that you do at this point, but, you know, it's not Reigns and Cena. Like, Reigns and Cena, there's levels to it. Reigns and Cena is top tier. Well, what what, what are your thoughts on Lashley and Goldberg? I, I know people are going to hate that if it happens just because it's Goldberg. But, I mean, I would, I'm not against it. You'd have I two like big, meaty yeah. guys slapping meat, as Big E would say. Just... Yeah, that's gonna be that's like that's the tailor made match. That's like heavyweight boxing, bro. It's just two big names just going at it. I, I'm I'm all for it, honestly. That's gonna be great. Like I mean, that way you can save Lashley and Brock for WrestleMania and have ninety thousand people in AT&T Stadium next year watch that. Um, so that'd be cool. And then you can get another Goldberg match in because Kevin, I don't know where the community's at as far as Goldberg hate because obviously prior to this year's Rumble when he came back, everyone was like. You know, the Goldberg hate was through the roof because he'd beaten Owens, he'd beaten Fiend, um, he was about to face Drew. The Goldberg hate was through the roof. Ever since Drew beat him in like three minutes in a fun match of the Rumble, I don't know where the Goldberg hate's going to be. Granted, you're probably going to have the Twitter crowd, Kevin, no doubt, being like, oh, go away. I prefer, I want to see Nakamura instead of Goldberg. But generally speaking, I think Goldberg should be much more positively received this time, I feel like. I hope so. Because I, I like Goldberg. You know, we talked about him in long form in, a, in a, an entire episode dedicated to him. But I like Goldberg. I don't really have much against him. He and Lashley, like, that's the kind of match that Goldberg should be having. And Goldberg does not need to win. There's zero reason to have Goldberg beat Lashley. There's just, for what? You're going to have Goldberg appear once every three months on Raw and win the title? No, Bobby Lashley is, he's having a career year in 2021. And adding the name Goldberg to his list of hits that he's defeated just you put that on the hit list bro bobby lashley goldberg i mean it's money SummerSlam shaped up to be a pretty big show i mean it sucks that they can't get brock lesnar i guess he's like i don't even know what he's doing i guess he's just content being out on his farm in south dakota or wherever the hell he's at <laughs> i don't know i don't I know mean, what's gonna happen with brock lesnar but what's the what's the status of him you think we'll see him at wrestlemania you think it's possible i just hope so kevin you know like brock's awesome dude and then like brock's one of those just like Cena, I mean, Brock and Cena, I put in the same boat. Well, like in 2014, when they were on the show each week, God, I took it for granted. You know, when you have Brock and Cena as the main event, granted, the rest of the show was, for instance, like Ambrose and Rollins spraying barbecue sauce at each other, and like shirtless Kane, as you have like Jerry Springer doing the Bella Twins, um, you know, the Tonight Show, the Bella Twins. I, I get it was bad back then, but you had Brock and Cena, two like generational. Like almost like once in a lifetime talents almost. And then nowadays when you don't have them, it makes me think, oh my God, the thought of Brock coming back is insane. And yeah, I, I, Kevin answered that question. I just hope we see Brock again. Like even if it's just like one, just like a final run where we get Brock against um, Lashley and Brock against Reigns one more time, like that'd be so sick. I, I, yeah, like Kevin, how cool would that be? Just like Brock Lashley, Brock Reigns. Well, Brock and Reigns again with the, the new wrinkle where you have Paul Heyman in the middle. And then you have heel Roman, heel Brock Lesnar. I mean, I think Brock Lesnar, you could make him the clear babyface because people are going to love to hate Reigns so much. Reigns is at a level here where when fans come back, Reigns could end up being like a truly generational heel talent. Like he, and honestly, interesting interesting point. I want to mention this before you go on. I am really worried that in certain cities, cough Chicago, cough New York, 
you know, those type of places, Reigns is going to get the cheers because of his great heel work. Thoughts on that generally and just, yeah, go on. Yeah, he go probably on. will. I'll, I'll answer that. And I'll just say this too. I, I think if, if Reigns is like, if it works out and people carry over that same hatred they had for him in 2015 and 16, he could be like a Hollywood Hogan level heel. If he does, if he goes on a run like that for three to four years where WWE is touring and in every city, Roman Reigns is getting booed out of the building and people are just spending ridiculous money to go travel to watch him lose or subscribe to Peacock or whatever subscription service they'll be on in five years. It, it could, like, Reigns could hit the next level if it, if it clicks. But yeah, I mean, I think you bring up a good point. Cities like Chicago, New York, you have in the UK, they might cheer him. Maybe not. Who knows? I don't. I don't know. I I don't see it where like we we walk into a building in Madison Square Garden and Roman's out there and he gets like an eruption. I I just I can't picture Roman Reigns ever getting that kind of reception. You know. I, I just say what I see is. I mean, you, you, I'll get your thoughts on this in a moment. But with Reigns, I think people will love to boo him. That's what I think will be the case. Like people have been booing him since like 2015. But people now that he's like the tribal god, he's the top heel. Now people are, like, supposed to boo him almost. People will relish in booing him. It's a similar thing to, like, if Cena ever turned heel, like, people would just love to boo him. When Reigns is cutting promos in the middle of the ring to open SmackDown in a, in a full arena of fans, and the whole arena is booing him because that's the cool thing to do, like, that's going to be Well, so here's, here's a difference, though, with Roman and Cena. Cena was a beloved character as a babyface. Before he ever, right. you know, before he, like... At, oh, I'm sorry. He was a beloved character as a babyface and a heel. Before he went back babyface and then went on that, you know, that super Cena babyface run. He was so over as a doctor of thugonomics. Roman Reigns, like, yeah, he was over with the shield. People love the shield. But he never had a singles run where he was just so beloved. Like, like, uh, like the word life Cena was in like 2004, late or um, late 04, early 05. So I, I don't know, like, if Roman will ever have that certain fan base that would love to cheer him. Because like, I, I think if Cena came back and turned heel... He would come, he would get babyface reactions. It would be like Stone Cold 1998, you know, if yeah. Cena was a heel. It would just, it would be crazy because he'd be so damn good at it too. And that's another thing with Roman Reigns. Like, how good is he going to be? I, I'm really worried about this aspect of when live crowds return because we haven't seen Roman do it in front of a live crowd. We haven't seen him look like, like a, a great performer. Like in the ring, yes, he's great. But on the mic as a character, we've never seen him have a consistent time frame where he's been great. He's had spurs like in 2017 after he beat Taker. He was kind of leaning into that tweener level and he did it pretty well. But other than that, we've seen like heavily scripted, awkward promos from Roman. Or we've seen him just come out there and just like stare down Goldberg or stare down Bray Wyatt. Like I'm curious to see what, what, the, what the acting chops are going to look like when we do see yeah. Roman in front of a full crowd. Well, I think Roman's ready for it. Because like you, you look at, he's had literally a year now to get this whole shtick of Acknowledge me. I'm the tribal chief. I'm the head of the table. You know, worship me like that. He's had that kind of act. It's like you know, he's drawn that into himself so much to this point. Where now you had the live fans back. I think it's just gonna it's gonna fit like a glove. I reckon. Like you're gonna have Reigns saying in the middle of the ring, like arrogantly posing with the universal title as he's you know saying bad things about Jey Uso. Heyman's there like worshiping him. You know, there'll be arenas of like five thousand people booing him out of the building. Like it's gonna be sick. I think. Oh, yeah, it's going to be cool. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. I mean, it, there's also the aspect, too, of, in this sense. Look at the guys he's been cutting promos against. He's been doing, having promo battles with, like, Daniel Bryan and Cesaro. They're not exactly John Cena. 
So we'll, we'll see what it looks like. I, I'm very curious, man. It's uh, I, I would say that we're we're heading towards a boom period again in wrestling. I think people are really going to be talking about wrestling when if if Cena does make his comeback relatively in the near future. Oh God, we can only hope. It's like this pandemic period. I mean, you look at numbers, general interest. I mean, like early 2020, like January and February, when AW was like doing really good, and you had you know Raw was legitimately good in the beginning of 2020. And numbers were in like two and a half million viewers for Raw, and now they're getting 1.487. Like, we can only hope. We can only hope. Oh, yeah. I, I, I just, I mean, you know, you want to segue into ratings now? You want to do the ratings talk, or do you want to, you want to talk well. about? Yeah. All right, yeah, let's do well. the ratings talk. So, uh, you have, you'll have to inform everyone of the numbers because I'm just so ignorant to it. So, please um, inform me here. Yeah. So, now. That the headline WWE Raw draws lowest viewership in show history is not exactly like a new headline. Like, I mean, Kevin, we'd be lying to you, great listeners, if we said it's the first time we've seen this. But that said, Kevin, <sighs> teary God. Uh, so here's the headline: WWE Raw draws lowest viewership in show history. Monday's live edition of WWE Raw drew an average. <laughs> million viewers on the USA Network. This is down 6.24% from last week's 1.57 million viewers. Uh, Raw drew a 0.41 rating in the 18 to 49. Um, And yeah. um, What what was the headliner for this week's Raw? Was it Charlotte Flair telling Rhea Ripley that she's the queen? No, this week the main thing that happened on the show was a tag match, which was Kofi and Xavier Woods versus Lashley and MVP. Oh, wow. Okay, so you got like fifty-one-year-old MVP out there. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that was that. Um, the other thing that happened, they had like the um, not the championship ascension. They had all the the raw money in the bank guys standing in the ring, and Riddle's like, "I'm so high right now, bro. I'm all the way up here." And Drew McIntyre was cutting like a a Scottish hero promo. <laughs> I'm like, that was legit raw. <laughs> like, yeah, but McIntyre is he feuding with? He's feuding with with RK Bro now, right? Kevin, I'd be lying if I said I knew. Like, I, I don't watch. I, I don't watch. And then, like, the, the thing is, like, the one thing I saw from Raw was Rhea Ripley making her entrance, like, holding the crutch. And no, not, not, not in that way, as in, like, you know, I mean, if you saw it. Like, you know, the, the walking stick, pretty much. And she's, like, hopping out there, and then her and Charlotte were hitting each other with, like, walking stick crutches. I'm like, like what is this show, dude? Like, these women are still feuding. What is like, this, you bro? You've got that hundred reasons on Raw coming out soon, but, like, my God. It's yeah, just, what, 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 what is this, bro? You got you got you got a thirty six year old woman who looks like Dolph Ziggler, bro, and they're building the show around her, bro. Bro, you got an owner of an Outback Steakhouse, bro, beating up a thirty six year old woman with a kendo stand, not, not a crutch, bro. What what is this show, bro? She's got she's got she's holding a crutch, bro, and she's beating Dolph Ziggler with a crutch, bro. This show sucks, bro. <laughs> I'm sick of this show, bro. <laughs> oh my god! I think I broke. I broke. I broke bonafide hate, guys. Um, oh. this is a late hate first. I can't wait for the the final nail in the coffin for when I do a hundred reasons why Raw sucks. Which, by the way, to I know this is shocking. Breaking news here: the Elitist is going to be on that. Just so you guys know. Wait, no, what? I'm going to be on a video on the bonafide hate channel. 
Yeah, breaking really? news. This is breaking news. Yar, that's damn. The, the, damn this you... is like Brian Alvarez tweeting the AEW ratings, and then making excuses about how they were up against the NBA, and they were up against the Cooking Channel, and they were up against ABC, and they were up against Netflix. They were up against a- Amazon Prime. Oh, Batista dropped a new movie on Netflix. Now, that's why v- ratings were down uh, for AEW Dynamite. Give me a break with these excuses, bro. And then you got you got you got the Friday Night Show. Oh, it's at four hundred sixty-two thousand viewers. Oh my God, Andrade Alidolo. He would have done better, but they were up against Friday night. They were going up against Chris Paul versus the, the Denver Nuggets without Jamal Murray. You know, God, God bless them for trying. You know, they, they can't compete with, with uh, Jokic and, and the G-Leaguers that he had on his team. Batista has a new movie on Netflix. Damn it. Dave Batista is 53 has a movie on Netflix. Damn it. That's why AW can't draw over 600,000 viewers. Damn it. <laughs> 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 oh god yeah what, what is it what is AEW oh. doing ratings wise what, what was their first what what have they released the numbers for this past wednesday show have you yep, seen it yeah yeah i've got you covered as far as that one so AEW dynamite kevin now they made their return to the road um and the average rating for their so it's a wednesday night show live fans it's a road rager special eight hundred and seventy one thousand viewers so about what you'd expect, I think. I, if it was above a million, then I'd be like, okay, damn, crap. Because considering Raw's getting 1.4s now. But no, nah, they, they got 871,000 viewers for the, the five people who care. That's a uh, 0.33 in the uh, 18 to 49 there, John. Well, what's the um, excuse for them not hitting a million when American Idol was on? It was the season finale of American Idol. There was no NBA. There was no NBA finals on Wednesday night. Oh, but Black Widow came out. That's what it was. Black Widow came out. That's why AEW Dynamite, their first show with full with a full crowd, did it do a million viewers. But, 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 but Kevin, that show had Tommy End. Wait, no, he's Malachi Black. Wait, no, he's Tommy End. That's Malachi Black. The show had the debut of that guy. On AW, what do you mean? You carried over the black guy. You're an Adron. You're an Adron. Shut up, Kevin. Shut up. Yeah, he he carried over the black guy. Uh, what's next? He's gonna be doing backstage promos where he's knocking on the door again. Uh, who's knocking at my door? Or he's gonna be talking about Game of Thrones and flying dragons. He's gonna be playing like Dungeons and Dragons. He's gonna have his handbook out, casting spells on John Silver in the back. Like, what 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 are we gonna see next? With Alistair Black there, pal. Can I just say? Why does this company not debut him in a feud against Darby Allen, Kevin? Why? Why is it Cody Rhodes every time? What's Cody supposed to do and say to Malachi Black? Oh, this is the this is the house I built. I run AEW, and Alistair Black will come out there, recite uh, chapter seven of the third Game of Thrones book, and then proceed to black mass Cody Rhodes. And then Brandy Rhodes will rush out there crying as she's, like, giving birth. Like, what, what, what is this, bro? Th- th- this is AEW. And you're going to fast forward four months, Kevin, as we've talked about, and the main storyline in AEW is going to be Ethan Page calling Cody's newborn baby ugly, and there'll be a personal storyline. <laughs> like, this is my issue. Like, AEW does su- stuff good. Presentation, generally pretty good. Generally a good kind of feel to their shows. But just some of these decisions, Kevin, some of these decisions, it's just you bring in Malachi Black, Alistair Black, Tommy Ann, whatever. Excalibur and Jim Ross and Shivani clearly don't know based on when he debuted. You bring him in. 
and he's doing what? What's he doing? <laughs> he, he's, he's quite literally doing Cody Rhodes. Like, bro, bro really? Really? Really, bro? Really? 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 Kevin, what are they doing? Uh, with that whole Alistair Black thing, it's confusing because, yes, there's potential. But he's going to hit the Cody, the Cody wall. We've seen it a million times. We saw it with Sean Spears. We saw it with Anthony Agogo. We saw it with this guy. We saw it with that guy. I can't remember names off the top of my head, but I know those two for sure. And Archer. Oh, my goodness. It's happened that many times, Kevin. Like, uh. Yeah, he, he comes in. He hits the black mask on Cody. Everyone's freaking out. And then what? Cody's going to come out and cut a promo about how Alistair Black was misused in WWE, and he's happy that he signed him to AEW. And then we're going to have Cody come out with the baby and, and we, with uh, Brandy come out with the baby and they're going to have a family picture. And then Al- Alistair Black's going to like photobomb the picture and he's going to terrify the new baby. Like, like, okay. Why not Darby Allen? Why, why not? He's the TNT champion. Is he still the TNT champion? I don't know. Uh, he's the TNT champion. Um, so oh, Darby yeah. Allen oh, yeah. So like, we should have Alistair Black for some reason. not done anything in like a month. Ugh. Yeah, we got, we got Alistair Black for his Rusev. Why, why don't we get that? I don't know. Whatever. I, because because that, that's actually there's a story there's a story there. With this, it's literally going to be Cody Rhodes going. AW is the land of opportunity. You came here for an opportunity. You know what else is the land of opportunity? The United States. I'm Rocky Balboa, Cody Rhodes. I'm Martin Luther, Cody Rhodes. I represent American freedom. Everyone love me. Please cheer me. And then the 2000 AW fans in attendance. Yes, Cody, Cody. As everyone. America wide, who's watching? All seven hundred thousand of them are thinking, "Bro, get this guy off my TV." So, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay, all right. Let's transition. We talked about AEW's ratings. We talked about Raw's ratings. We talked about Cena. Talked about Jimmy Uso. And I, I guess the last bit of news here that we needed to cover is Bailey. So Bailey, they're reporting that she tore an ACL and she's expected to miss nine months. And when I saw this, I don't know about you and the, you guys that are listening. But when I saw this and read this, I was like, nine months? Like, that's a really peculiar time frame. You never really see that. You never really see, like, oh, this guy's injured. They're going to miss this amount of time. My my first initial reaction was, I, I have a feeling she might be pregnant, but she doesn't want anyone to know. Because after what Becky Lynch and Seth Rollins went through with those creepy fans, like, I could under- completely understand if she is pregnant and wants to hide it. But, I mean, we have to go with the reports here. She's got a torn ACL and... I mean, if she does have a torn ACL, that sucks. As somebody who just had a, who was just suffered a torn meniscus like seven months ago, I understand yeah. completely how that feels. So, this sucks. I wish her the best. She, she, uh, she injured her knee carrying SmackDown throughout the pan- the heart of the pandemic in the summer when Roman Reigns was off taking care of his family. Yeah, I mean that's that's a good like little conspiracy theory you make because the, the reason they gave was did ACL during training. Weird. I'm like, really. Like, it, 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 this would be different if it was, like, remember when, yeah, Seth Rollins did his knee at that, like, house show in Europe in 2015, and like, there's the video of his leg just, like, buckling, and it, like, totally caved in. Like, that, that's that's one thing. This, no footage, no pictures, no evidence, out nine months, injured in training. It's like, what, what's Bailey doing that's so physically intense during training? You know, like, she's not ricochet doing 950 flips onto crash pads and landing on her neck. Like it's it's Bailey, you know. I mean, she she I could be training MMA, 
uh, it, yeah, could, it, it could sure. have been an awkward fall off a top turnbuckle. We don't know. It could have been a lot of things. But my my my, you know, I put my tinfoil hat on for a second when I saw that nine months. I was like, oh, something's up here. You know, it's just yeah. Weird. It's like if she says it's an injury, that way she won't have people like at fade to black on Twitter posting ultrasound pictures. You know, so yeah, that's um that's one thing. Hopefully, I wish her all the best of the recovery because presuming yeah, this is as it's been reported, it's just like a, it's an ACL which. But ACLs suck. I mean, objectively, like it's just it's like the press the worst injury you can have or one of. So, yeah, if that you know, if that's definitely the case, hopefully that gets recovered ASAP. That's never fun, but yeah, wishing her all the best. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. And then you know the other reason too why my I put my conspiracy theory hat on too was like when Seth Rollins tore his ACL, he was back in what five months. So we've seen some guys that tear their ACL and they come back real quick. Yeah, like in basketball, if you tear your ACL, you're looking at twelve to fifteen months. Because it's a contact sport and it's different than wrestling, but in, when it comes to wrestling, we've seen guys come back or girls come back from ACL injuries real quick. Except for Jimmy Uso, he was out for like fifteen months, I think, or sixteen months, which was kind of Jimmy Uso. We've been over, we've been over Jonathan far too already, Kevin. Let's move on. <laughs> yeah, ironic. It's just ironic, wasn't it? He he was a torn ACL, right? Yeah, he was the one. He did his during the WrestleMania ladder match last year, from memory. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was like I think he tore multiple ligaments. Either way, uh, is there any other news that you want to discuss? Any other news? I mean, ugh, not really. I think one one thing that's worth mentioning. Not really is like news, but I mean, we talked about ratings before with SmackDown. But do you find it interesting last week SmackDown? The, so the episode without Reigns on it. So just the Edge cuts his opening promo and Edge beats up Jimmy Uso episode that drew one point seven million. So like. When Roman Reigns is there, it's two million. Without Reigns, it's like one point seven. Like that's just I wanted to mention that, but yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, right. I, I'm reading an article here in Live Time that there's heat between Matt Riddle and Seth Rollins. Have you heard about this or read about it in any way? It's been that's been a thing for ages now. Remember when the Survivor Series elimination match last year when Seth Rollins took a sacrifice so he wouldn't have to be in the same match as Matt Riddle? Oh, like, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's not like that's not like hot off the press news. I mean, there's probably been some development. Maybe Seth Rollins is reading the DMs of Matt Riddle's wife backstage, and Matt Riddle tried to like <laughs> shoot punch him in the head. I don't know. No, R- yeah. R- Riddle did an interview, and he said that yeah, Seth Rollins doesn't like him. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, I mean, you know who else doesn't like Matt Riddle? VWE. Go check out his 150 reasons why um, Matt Riddle sucks video. But yeah, yeah, a yeah. little plug so, for the guy. I-, I was on that by the way too. So. Yeah, sh- shout yep. out to B being on there. Check that out. And all the other great YouTubers he had on there. I know he had like Jay Rance and I think he had TWRP, a bunch of other people. So I'm sure that turned yeah, out great. I, I, I was asked, uh, this is some behind the scenes news. I was asked, but I politely uh, declined because I'm, I'm not about um, putting out negativity on my YouTube channel. I'm a very positive creator. Oh, yeah. Um, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Nah, the truth is, I, I just don't care enough about Matt Riddle to even <laughs> yell for it. 10 minutes about Matt Riddle. That's how little I care about the guy. So, yeah, anyway, anyway, um, with that said, I think we're ready to do some uh, retro Elite Heat uh, content there, John. Yes, yes, we are. Yes, we're going to talk about Money the Bank content now. And there's Velveteen Dream Socks. Yeah, I'll click off that tab now. So, yeah, we'll now go on to the Money in the Bank retro content. Um, We've just been over the WWE shop. That was fun. Uh, now it's time for some uh, Money in the Bank content, Kevin. So, uh, where do you want to begin with this? Uh, I guess you want to talk about the whole show, or do you want to just do like a brief synopsis of the show? 
spoke with retrospect. You mentioned you watched the opening match back, and I want to get thoughts on that because yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll leave it with that. Punk, we talked about to death, but I think the opening match. You can talk about that to start. Yeah, we'll leave it with that. So is the opening match. I watched this. I planned on watching the entire show, but I got busy, so I just watched the opening match. So it was what Daniel Bryan. You got a 30-year-old Daniel Bryan out there. You got a 25-year-old Cody Rhodes going up against Heath Slater, Justin Gabriel, Bald Kane, Sin Cara, Sheamus, and Wade Barrett. There's eight dudes in this Money in the Bank match. Talk about pimping out and overexposing Money in the Bank. It went from like five guys to like eight guys. But nevertheless, the first thing that pops out to me is a commentary. The commentary was so amazing compared to what we see in 2021 just 10 years in the past and this commentary wasn't great because at the time I, I most people hated it it was jerry lawler michael cole who kind of turned down the heel stuff by this time this was after the miz lost the belt already so he was kind of done with that he was still a heel but you had characters a commentary and immediately the first thing that sticks out to me is i think it was justin gabriel was making his entrance or sin Cara, one of the two and booker t is shouting some gibberish and Jerry Lawler literally responds, Booker, what are you talking about? And, and, Booker, <laughs> and Booker just keeps going. Booker just keeps shouting gibberish about how Sin Cara is trying to establish a legacy in Mexico and become a great luchador. <laughs> and uh, like, there was so many times in the, middle of the sh- in the middle of the match where I'm like, what in the hell is Booker T saying? But it was so, it was so bad that it was funny. Like, like, he was yelling about Heath Slater being on NXT and Michael Cole is like, oh, okay. And <laughs> just kept like going back to the action. <laughs> and then um you had the point where, where Seamus power bombs Sin Cara. Booker T and Michael Cole simultaneously. You got like Michael Cole doing, oh, I think he's hurt. And then Booker T is like, Cole, he's hurt. <laughs> and I was just <laughs> I was just laughing so hard. Like I missed this dynamic when the announcers used to play off against each other. All three of those guys were characters and they they really added to the show, you know? Didn't, didn't um didn't you get to hear Booker T's uh fave five? Yes, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. That was another one. You had Booker T's fave five, and then Booker T changed his pick ev- like every two minutes in the match. Like Sin Cara had a head of steam. He's like, "That's my pick, King. That's my pick, King." And, and Jerry's like, "Wait, you picked Sheamus at the beginning of the match? I don't care, King. Sin Cara's on a roll." And then he's like screaming out, "Cody Rose is my pick." Yeah, he put ever since he put that mask on, he's better. And I'm just like, Booker, go, go, Booker T. Go get him, Booker. Like, put him back on commentary, for God's sake. Please. WWE, if you hear this podcast, please put Booker T back on commentary. The, you had the Booker T Fave 5, where he's yelling about Daniel Bryan being a good technical wrestler. It's just, yeah, it was classic stuff, man. I wish you were back in that time period. Like, I, like can you, uh, just, that dynamic's not there. Because nowadays, it'll be, you know, Corey Graves and Byron, maybe. And Corey Graves be like, Shut up, Byron, you idiot. And it's like, oh, okay. But, like, with that, like, I, I remember that clearly. Like, I, I didn't I watch that match, the opening match in forever. But I, I distinctly remember your Booker T yelling about his fave five. Jerry Lawler is just, he's chiming in and he's funny because he's Jerry Lawler. And Michael Cole's just you know, obnoxiously, like, entertaining. Like, Michael Cole's not supposed to be entertaining. He's supposed to be play-by-play. But you just laugh at him because he's just a clown. So it's just, the dynamic works really well. And in this specific match as well, because of who's involved, it, this was like the up-and-comers, so, so to speak. Like, yeah, Kane was in it, and Kane was like an old man. But just generally, like, this was all like the young breakout stars on SmackDown. This was the blue brand there, John. 
And he had like the whole core was in there. You had Daniel Bryan. You had all these guys, Cody Rhodes. And you have Booker T yelling about, this guy's my favorite five. Now it's this guy, King. This guy's my favorite five. Like, that's that's gold. That's gold. <laughs> it's good stuff, bro. Honestly, I, I wanted to watch the Christian and Randy Orton match because I wanted to hear Booker T scream about how great Randy Orton is. So after this podcast, I'll probably go back and rewatch that. But man, in a vacuum, though, this Money in the Bank 2011 pay-per-view, I was thinking about this like last week. And I'll ask you, is this the last great pay-per-view that we've seen in WWE? Because, like, WrestleMania 30, a lot of people will point to that one or 31. But that wasn't really a traditional pay-per-view. You know, that was like a network special. If you're talking about, like, pay-per-view in the old way where, you know, you have to get people to pay 60 bucks. Actually, yeah, I'd I'd argue second last great one. Do you want to have a guess what the last great one was? WrestleMania 28. Oh, yeah, well, I didn't think of that one. I was going to say SummerSlam 2013. Mm. With um, Punk, so Best versus the Beast, and he has Brian Chelsea. Wait, 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 wait. Is that the SummerSlam where Randy Orton cashed in on Daniel Bryan? That one? That's that's where where Triple H comes out, pedigrees Daniel Bryan, and Randy Orton is, like, smoking a joint with Bruce Prichard backstage, and it taking 25 minutes to walk down to the ring and pin Daniel Bryan. Oh God, I I, I yeah, can't I, I can't put that over Money in the Bank 2011. Oh Kevin, if you turn the show off with precisely about seven minutes left, because that's how long it took Randy Orton to do all his aforementioned things and cash in. If you turn the show off with about seven to ten minutes to go, it's one of the best like pay per views in the last fifteen years. But anyway, anyway, moving on. I, still top to bottom, I would say I I prefer this show. Just okay. another thing too okay. that I kind of skipped over because I was so anxious to talk about the commentary. How good was the intro package to this pay-per-view? One of the best intros for a pay-per-view that I can remember. Like, it, it legit, like, an all-time great intro. You got the clock ticking. You got, like, the clips of Punk cutting the pipe bomb and, and cutting other promos. You got, you know, the whole thing where Vince is going to fire Cena. You got buzz cut Vince here. You know, it's like, like this was the last great Vince McMahon era where he was on TV consistently. Yeah. Just really nostalgic, man. <clears throat> took me back well vince vince at this point he didn't look like everything had caught up to him yet right. you know right like nowadays you see this thing oh that, that man's been through a lot which he has like you know sleeping two to four hours a night literally every night for about 60 years and mixed with some steroid use addiction to working out addiction to running his business like everything's caught up to vince now but as far as 2011 vince I mean, these segments were legitimately good like i mean i made, I made my view about the summer of punk you did your view about the pipe bomb the whole thing with this time period, I've like watched back because I had to go get the clips of the video. I end up watching back like literally every one of those like summer punk segments just about. And like, my God, some of them are good. And like this whole time period with 2011 for punk, I mean, the video package there to open money in the bank was a prime example. But just the, the amount, like the, the content we got from this, so damn good. Like the promo punk did, not the pipe bomb, but the one where he literally, it was like the contract signing with Vince. Yeah, I think this the Monday before Money in the Bank, and then he, like Punk literally goes to Cena. You know, you become what you you hate. You're a dynasty. You're the New York Yankees. He says that while he's in Boston, and they got mad booze. Like, so good. So, so yeah. So now, what you, you were talking about Money in the Bank 2011? I think this show. We kind of said this was like the peak of WWE pay per views. I, I don't think any pay per view aside from this one has had like. That any pay per view that followed this one 
I don't think we've seen as much hype going into a pay-per-view since. I, I don't yeah. think we've seen it. Like, I, it's very fair to say. Like, you could say the Yes Movement with Daniel Bryan, but even me as a Daniel Bryan fan, I would push back and say, well, Daniel Bryan won the belt three times going into it. So, yes, it was hyped, but it wasn't, as, it wasn't near the hype of Punk. Like, Punk, he made people that didn't watch pay-per-views regularly care about pay-per-view again. And it was like you had to see what was going to happen. Was Punk going to go to Ring of Honor? Was Cena going to bury him? But was what was Vince gonna like fire somebody? Like what was gonna happen? You know, it was it was unpredictable. It was great. Yeah, and like, I mean, that, that's the thing. This is like the first time they have really done this type of angle on this type of stage. It was, you know, will Punk, as you said, there, yeah, will Punk leave? Like, what, what they're gonna do? And it felt like real because of Punk's, you know, kayfabe shoot promo on June twenty seventh in uh, <laughs> Las Vegas. So. <laughs> Yeah, really good stuff just all around. Um, but just the thing I want to say about Money in the Bank 2011 that makes it so good is really the fact that the show was six matches, I believe. Might have been seven, but six matches, four of which have an insane purpose. you got the WWE title, obviously Punk Cena. World Heavyweight title was like the second last match in the Orton-Christian feud. So that match had purpose. And then the two Money in the Banks. So the winner gets a future title shot. And at that time, there hadn't been a failed cash-in yet. So it's pretty much the WWE and World Heavyweight title matches and then two matches where the winner is going to become world champion very soon. So that's like three quarters or 80% of the show just about of matches that mean a lot and they were really good. And then the other matches were just look like Big Show and Mark Henry had like a four-minute match. Oh, like, okay, cool. That was it. Like, Right. And then you had Kelly Kelly and Brie Bella for the WWE Divas Championship. Nobody's going to be talking about that one 10 years later. So you look at really like realistically, realistically, this was a one match show, but the undercard was good enough to carry the pay-per-view. Like it wasn't like, oh, it's Punk and Cena. And on the undercard, you had like the core versus, you know, the the core versus like Sheamus, Jack Swagger and Kofi Kingston. It was like there was some good quality there. Two really good Money in the Bank matches. Like you said, Christian and Orton was good. And then, yeah, you had Big Show and... Mark Henry, whatever, but the undercard lived up. It flowed really well. It was a two and a half hour show. That's another thing that I think we need to discuss too. A two and a half hour pay per view. We don't see those unless it's in the pandemic era, but yes. you yeah. don't see those anymore. Now that WWE, like SummerSlam, is going to be in front of a full crowd. SummerSlam is going to be like five and a half hours minimum. Yeah. Yeah, they're going to jam a bunch of randoms onto the screen. You're going to have like. Oh, God, am I again? Like Natalia and Tamina versus Lord knows who for the women's tag titles. And it's just going to be like a 15 minute match. And it's like, bro, like this Money in the Bank show is so good because it's straight to the point. And like the whole last hour of the show was that the punk Cena, like everything to do with that from the video package, the entrances, the introductions, the 33 minute match, the post match, Vince on commentary being like, oh, damn it, damn it, damn it, get out of here, get out of here now. Now, damn it, Del Now, now. And then Del Rio runs out. Punk roundhouse kicks him. And then Michael Paul goes, I'll oh, punch to the head. Like, that kind of stuff. And then, yeah, Punk escapes through the crowd. Just awesome last hour, Kevin. Awesome stuff. Yeah, I, I guess we'll, we'll talk about that stuff, that moment there with Punk. Um, yeah. It's safe to say that the whole Punk, like, I, I would say Punk's career peaked out after that moment where he blew a kiss into Vince from the crowd. I think that was the peak of Punk's career. I don't think he ever got back there. He was close when he had that promo battle with The Rock where he, he ratioed The Rock on the mic, if you will. But other than that, like he just it felt like to be like I said this in my video that I made about him recently. It felt like to be Punk was always chasing the next high like he was just trying to outdo that. 
and he could never get there. What, what do you think about yeah. that? Like, I think because when you look at what happened, the aftermath, what Punk took a week or two off from Raw, maybe a month, and then he comes back and he's just like, hey, guys, I'm CM Punk. Such a mess. Such a mess. Yeah, Such you, a mess. you have seen yeah. it with a fake belt. Like, the expectation uh. going in when you're watching Punk blowing a kiss to Vince from the crowd as he's running away with the title. You're thinking, oh my god, we're going to see something crazy. Like, WWE and Ring of Honor have a have a partnership, and we're going to see Punk versus Cole Cabana on Ring of Honor for the WWE Championship. Like, people are thinking, like, crazy stuff's going to happen, and then Punk just shows up with a new theme song. And it's like, hey, I'm the real champion, guys. It's like yelling at Cena. Like, that's that's what realistically what we got. You know, like, you could have done so much cool stuff. Like, you could have been Punk, like, on, like, a Ring of Honor show, like, gra- like spray-painting the WWE title. And he's, like, graffitiing it, and, you know, he's, they're like, a hundred crazy psychopaths, you know, Ring of Honor fans screaming, and you could, you know, you could, you could punk like looking in the camera, and be like, "Hey, Vince, how's it going?" And you make the most of it, but no, instead they did Cena versus Mysterio on an episode of Raw, and then Punk just came back and it's like, "Oh, okay." Yeah, he's like, "Hey guys, like, I'm Phil." <laughs> yeah, it's like, and everyone's like, "Huh? What's this?" And Punk walk out, it's like, "Oh, he's back." Okay, hi, Punk. It's like. Like, what are they doing? Like, this is, like, the biggest angle, at least as far as how much got people talking in years. Like, really, since the Benoit thing happened, no angle got people talking like this one. So, yeah. Well, ben, the Benoit thing wasn't an angle, but as far as just, like, from 2007 on, like, this was the biggest talking point, and it, it's just they botched it. They really did. Yeah, like, do you think it's a fair statement that this that moment was the peak of Punk's career, like, both... In wrestling and just in life, like that's the biggest thing he'll ever do in his entire career. I could not be. Punk lives off that the same way WWE lives off the attitude era. You know, like Punk, right. that pipe bomb was like, you know, that was the lead up of all his decade plus involved in wrestling to that point. The pipe bomb was that. And then that took him from a mid card guy, or at least it should have theoretically taken him to the main event. Whether he worked out as the main event guy or not, that's debatable, but. Yeah, I mean, that, that was his career moment. That was his big high. And then after that, you do talk about him almost like chasing highs with all this other stuff. I mean, yeah, the primary battle with The Rock before the Rumble in 13, that was like, that was like peak punk. That was sick. But just generally, I mean, it's, it's pretty impossible to top that. So like, that's like, the, that's like the, the blow up. And then from there, you can try your best, but trying to beat something that's so organic and cool and fresh, it's just near enough impossible to beat him. Right, yeah. like, And it, you look at some of the greats like Austin. Austin had his iconic Austin 316 promo. And he did some other stuff too. It wasn't like that's what he lived off of. He stunned Vince in the garden. He won the title with JR screaming, the Austin era has begun. He did the heel turn. He did the what chance. He did the, the you know, the Stone Cold GM with Eric Bischoff. That goes back to the writing. That goes back to the writing. Like you mentioned everything you say there. You had Russo and all these people and Ferrara back in 98. Every week or so, you'd have Austin... Oh, here's Austin driving a beer truck in the arena. Here's Austin crashing into McMahon's Corvette. Here's Austin hitting McMahon with a bedpan. It was just constant creative, cool stuff that fit the characters and got you talking. Whereas with Punk, it was like, oh, well, he did a pipe bomb, um, and now he's going to sit in the ring with a megaphone and say he's the voice of the voiceless, and then he's going to look at Triple H in a contract signing and say that you know Triple H has his balls in Stephanie's handbag, <laughs> and then Kevin Nash is going to read a text message and then he's just going to lose every match for the rest of you know the rest of the year like, like here's the other part of the equation too when austin blew up with the austin 316 stuff he was relatively new punk had been around for what like five years in wwe at this point 
So like casuals, they were already out on punk. They were like, oh, I don't like this guy. I don't care about him. So it, realistically, it was the internet that kind of coined this pipe bomb thing. It wasn't like a WWE coined phrase. You rarely ever heard WWE reference a pipe bomb. It was always punk referenced it in a promo once in a while. Or you would hear people on the internet talk about it. It wasn't like WWE attached the marketing machine to this pipe bomb. It's almost like the pipe bomb became something that was fan created, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. And like, yeah, that's, that's a great point. Like, yeah, I mean, they never really got the, the machine behind it. Like, it, it, that was something they like really wanted and intended for it to be like the biggest thing. Trust me, you'd hear about it. Yeah, right. Like, WWE promoted something like Seamus 515 more than they did with the pipe bomb. You know, it's like whatever WWE wants to put their machine behind, they're going to promote. The pipe bomb was not it. And I guess if you look at the contents of what was said in the pipe bomb, I mean, fair enough. Like, yeah, do you think WWE is going to actively promote, you know, uh, some employee who's been there for like six years saying that the company will be better after the, you know, the boss is dead? Like, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, they didn't get the machine behind it that much. And the fans ran with that narrative um, for years and years. And as I exposed that narrative recently, it didn't bring in new viewers. It didn't drive up ratings. So, what can you do? It did it. Yeah, because people that people that were watching wrestling five years ago, they had knew who Punk was. They were like, "I don't care about this guy. I'm not gonna watch. I don't care if he's cutting good promos on Triple H. I don't want to see it." So, so that the other other aspect of it too is like, it kind of was a perfect storm. Money in the Bank just so happened to be in Chicago, CM Punk's birthplace. It was like. In the middle of June or the end of June, whatever, some writer goes up to CM Punk and is like, here, say whatever the hell you want in this promo. WWE had no plans for Cena and Punk to be the hottest rivalry in, in years. Oh, yeah. They had yeah, no, no plans right? to make CM Punk a star. Like, when you, look at, when you look at Punk, what he accomplished in his career was just, it's such a, a meta, like, how do you, how do you phrase it's it? It's under circumstance, because, I mean, yeah. they announced Cena and Rock as the main event of 28 on April 4th, 2011. So they announced that a year in advance. Well, the only thinking backstage, because that, at that time, Cena's the cash cow and no one comes close. You have Cena, like the whole point was just get Cena through to Mania 28 and you can have the match with The Rock and they can do 1.2 million pay-per-view buyers. Like that was all the thinking was for Vince, realistically. So you get this random pay-per-view, like it's like June. You look at, you know, where Money in the Bank is, it's in Chicago. We need to, you know, Punk's wrestling Mysterio in, like, upper mid-card matches. Give, give Punk a title shot. And then it just so happens that, as you say, some writer goes, say whatever you want in a promo, Punk. And then the rest is history. So it worked out really well. WWE, I mean, it fell into their lap in a sense, but I mean, Punk and everyone involved made the best of it, I feel. Absolutely. Yeah, it's just, you know, the whole thing with it being in Chicago that really played up to it, it, it clearly was not was never supposed to happen. It's just, it's such a weird thing because the dude really did go on to become like a top two or three star in wrestling. I, I just feel like if Punk had maybe taken a step back and just kind of looked at it for what it was and just kind of went with everything and was just like did what WWE wanted him to do, Punk would be like, he'd legit be the biggest star in wrestling right now in 2021. He would have been carrying these pandemic era Raw or SmackDown, whatever show they would put him on. And I feel like like people wouldn't have got tired of him. But instead, he was really the guy who set the tone for the, I guess you call indie wrestler entitlement. I should be the best because I'm the best in-ring guy. Like, really, Punk did set the tone for a lot of that. Because, like, that was one of the things I'm watching Punk. I, was, I rewatched that contract signing segment 
from August 8th, 2011, that episode of Raw, I think it was Martin Go Home SummerSlam, or at least one of them. And you've got like Punk, he's, you know, he's sitting there and like they, they do like a close up on Punk's face. And then like, you, like Punk, you got like the bags under his eyes. It's like, you know, it just the, the whole look of it, I don't know. Like you, you can see how WWE didn't push this guy as like, this is our superstar with all the tattoos. Like he, look, he looked like tired most of the time when he was on TV. Like, I don't know. I mean, Punk was awesome. I was a massive fan as a kid. But, like you look back in retrospect and think, oh, this was this was the guy who caused what we have now. This yeah. is the guy. Like, yeah, CM Punk's presence is still being felt. Just his influence, you see it every single week on Raw and SmackDown. Like, I don't know. Like CM Punk, but he must watch those got, promos. You got AW Twitter accounts like quote tweeting, um, like or quoting the pipe bomb every time. Like, there's a bad second. Like, like Dude Drop comes out with Eva Marie. And they like, you know, these people go, well, maybe this company would be better after Vince McMahon's dead. And it's like, bruh, just. Yeah, yeah. You got like, CM Punk must watch these Raw Talk segments where you've got like Billy Kay screaming about how she deserves more opportunities. He must be watching that like, oh, this is a joke, bro. Like, just a parody of me, you know. But the, the, end, yeah. the, the response for me would be like, if CM Punk's like, if he ever said that to somebody and was like, oh, you're just doing a parody of me. My response would be like, well, why don't you like do something different then, bro? Like, you know, re- reinvent the wheel again, like the greats do. But, nah, eh, you know, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll probably Vince never see him back. Who knows? Maybe one day. Nah, man's lost his passion. Um, I mean, he didn't have much passion as was when it came because, like, the whole the whole thing with Punk was like, oh, you know, when he was thinking about Willie Ray signing or not in mid twenty eleven, and he's sitting on his couch in Chicago, and then it was. Joey Mercury, I think, said to him, like, you can't change anything from your couch. Like, you know, you got to actually do stuff. And then Punk was like, yeah, i got to make a change, supposedly. Whether that change is for the better, long-term, short-term, what have you, that, does, that doesn't really matter. But Punk, you know, he came back. He had a run for two and a half years. was champion for 14 months. All that kind of stuff. That's history. And then, yeah, he's done for good. No, he hasn't been back in seven years. He was on backstage for two months. That didn't do much for ratings. And, yeah. Crazy, yeah. The, the the CM this is the CM Punk show, Money in the Bank 2011. So I guess it's fitting that we spend so much time talking about him. Um, but yeah, I think that's all we need to talk about as far as um Money, Money in the, the Bank. Uh, I mean, let, let me let me ask you this. Unless you guys want to analyze critically Kelly Kelly versus whoever she wrestled. Um, right, let, let me yeah. ask you this last question about this show, Money in the Bank. Is this? <clears throat> I don't know how to how to phrase it, but is this like this is CM Punk's legacy, right? Because he never really main evented a WrestleMania. He never really had a big WrestleMania match. Like, yeah, he had the match with Undertaker, but that one's like on the that one's like not even top five of Undertaker's WrestleMania matches, at least when it comes to the public perception. Um, so this would be like Punk's WrestleMania main event. Like his legacy would be this pay per view, huh? Uh, I I describe it. This was Sam Punk's finest hour. As, as a diehard Punk guy, that that's how I describe it. This was. This was his career, like, culminating. And obviously, it bothers him immensely that it wasn't at a WrestleMania. And obviously, that would have been nice. But I genuinely think the fact that this happened in Chicago, you know, in the All-State Arena with 20,000 people avidly screaming for him, I think that worked out better than a WrestleMania 27 main event would have. Because the Mania 27 main event would have had Rock involved and you just have Taker and Triple H have a 30-minute no-holds-bar that... It, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have clicked. It would have been good, definitely, but I don't think it would have been the same as this. Like this was magic. So 
Yeah, I'd agree with you. Yeah, definitely would have hit the same. But yeah, I mean, that's pretty much it for this week's episode of Elite Heat. Anything else you want to add? Not really. Um, kind of all over the place. But I think you guys will enjoy that. I reckon. Um, it's a bit. It's a bit more like we've just taken a general bona fide heat in the elitist Discord chatter and just chucked it into a podcast. That's why I describe this as. So, <laughs> yeah, I thought it's turned out pretty good. Um, hope you guys will enjoy it. Plenty of content to digest there from Double B Sharp, Jimmy Uso, ratings, Bailey, conspiracy theories. We've got money in the bank talk, summer of pumping. This, this just had a lot of stuff in it. So. Yeah, I hope you guys have enjoyed it. Any closing words from you, Kevin? Uh, that's it. I-, I love talking Money in the Bank 2011. It's one of my favorite times to be a wrestling fan. Uh, it's one of my favorite times to look back on. It's <laughs> Honestly, this content is some of the stuff you can go back and watch in the past 10 years, and it just feels like it fits in the, the modern times. But yeah, that's it for me, and we'll talk to you guys in the next one. Peace.